at 1 Timothy 3, uh, 1, all the way to verse 16. Remember the context of 1 Timothy. Uh, Paul is not in, uh, with, not in Ephesus. He came, he helped plant the church in Ephesus. He sent Timothy ahead to kind of help uh, manage uh, the, uh, the church there at Ephesus. A lot of times we refer to these specific books, uh, 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus, as the pastoral epistles. Uh, because Timothy and Titus were acting as pastors of the church. They're probably more functionally called apostolic representatives. They were sent by the apostles to represent the apostles to help strengthen and, and care for uh, the church. Uh, the church at Ephesus had certain issues. Uh, we see Harminius and, and Alexander who were, had to be dismissed from probably leadership. They had to be cast outside the church for living in an immoral way. You see in chapter 1, you see a lot of uh, teaching that was Paul uh, encouraged Timothy to, to encourage the people to exhort them not to devote themselves to myths or genealogy, but the aim of our charge is love uh, that issue with a clear conscience. Um, let me see exa- exactly. It says love, um, the charge of ours is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons have swerved from the truth. So there's a group of people in Ephesus who are trying to teach uh, false things. So really this whole book is kind of instructions to young Timothy. We see right there in verse 14, Paul saying, listen, I hope to come to you soon. I, I don't want you to be alone. I hope to, to be there with you. But as we know that we live life in the, in the Lord willing, do we not? We don't know what tomorrow holds. I, I hope to come to you soon, but it, I am writing these things, where these things are the whole entire uh, letter of 1 Timothy, that you may know how to behave, one ought to behave in the household of God, the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of truth. So really this whole entire letter is written to Timothy to make sure that the church behaves rightly, that they live their life in a way that honors the Lord. So the last several weeks that I've taught through this passage, we've, we've, we've looked at elders. So in, in the beginning of, of chapter three, the, the saying is trustworthy, that it aspires to the office of overseer. He desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must, must be above reproach. The, that's the main qualification of an overseer, an elder, a, a bishop, a pastor. They must be above reproach as an example unto the flock to care for and shepherd the people of, of God. And then the, the next section, it talks about deacons. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, uh, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine. I think the key idea, idea there is dignified. It's the same idea of being above reproach. The only difference between an elder and a deacon is that elders are called to be apt to teach. Those are ones who are called to teach and instruct the church to refute uh, false teaching and to instruct in um, uh, doctrine that, that accords with godliness. Uh, last week, when, when I was, uh, last time I was talking, I was two weeks ago, I was talking about deacons, and we kind of talked about the, the glory of the office uh, of deacons. They are, they are lead servants in, in the heart, uh, life of the church. They, they hold to the faith with a clear conscience. And if they do, verse 13, they serve well, they gain a good standing for themselves, a good reputation for themselves, and a great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Because when you're a leader, both as an elder and as a deacon, what you do is you get to see the front line of God's work in the life of the church. Uh, if you are actively involved in the life of the body, you get to see God work in the lives of people. And if you're a, a pastor or a deacon, which you, you see it right in front of you, you see the Holy Spirit work in people's lives to be changed them, to transform them, to move them more and more into the image of Christ. 
What I did last time I, I, I taught, I probably did too much in one sermon. Uh, at the end of the message, I kind of talked about uh, the difference between male and female deacons and the arguments there. Uh, really what I did is I took the arguments from this book, right? The, at the end of this book, there is, uh, he has four uh, against the argument that there should be a women deacons in the life of the church. And he has three fours, the arguments that four, there should be women deacons in the life of, of the church. When I taught it uh, last time, I gave eight against, so eight reasons why uh, there should only be, uh, the office of deacon should only be limited to men, and seven fours, why the Bible would teach that there should be um, uh, women deacons in the life of the church. There's one thing that I said that was incorrect that I kind of wanted to correct tonight. Uh, in the book, I just read exactly what the book said, and the book said, um, let me just kind of read it to you so that you guys can know that I'm not a heretic. Um, so this was the section, Phoebe was a deacon and not just a servant. It says this, first, the ending of the word is masculine, not feminine. This word would have been an odd way for Paul to refer to a woman, unless, of course, he's not describing her character, but designating her office. I still think that Paul was designating her office, but not because of the word in the masculine sense. The word's actually in the feminine sense, right? So it's not masculine. This book is it would be incorrect because if Paul was going to speak about a, a deacon or a servant he, uh, who was a woman, he would have used that same, uh, you know, verbiage, right? So that's, that would have been something I, I spoke incorrectly, and I just read it right off the book and didn't check it, okay? So I, I, I share that to you. I still think in, in, in Romans chapter 16, uh, verse 1, when it says that, that Phoebe was the deaconess or the servant of the church of Chantria, I still think that's referring to an office there, um, one of the things that have helped me when I think about politics is uh, Jonathan Lehman in his little book, How, How Do We Agree with uh, People Who Have Different Politics Than Us, is this idea of straight line, jagged line issues. Uh, straight line is things that are very clear, right? There's a straight line from the biblical text uh, to a particular issue. So, for example, the very clear one is abortion, right? The Bible says that we should value all life. I mean, the Bible is very pro-life. Uh, that we even talk about those who are in the womb as those who have life. The Lord Jesus, um, you know, or sorry, um, John the Baptist leaped, right, when Mary entered her presence. The, the, it says the baby leaped. There was a living uh, being in, in the baby. So, so to believe that um, we believe that abortion is wrong, it's a, it's a straight line issue from the Bible uh, to life, right? It's a straight line issue. There's other things when it comes to politics that are a little bit more jagged line issues. We could take principles from the Word of God and have a, a jagged line to kind of think about how we should interact with it. Whether that's, um, hey, should uh, the legal age of someone to be able to drink be 18 or 21? Well, we could take principles from God's Word, take that out and kind of get to there, but there could be disagreement because there's not a straight line issue there, right? So when I think about this particular passage and talking about uh, deacons and elders, sometimes it's a very clear straight line issue. Sometimes how you apply this text uh, in, in, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, I think sometimes it's a little bit more of a jagged line issue in our culture today. I don't think it's as clear, right? Uh, so I said last week, and I still would say this today, uh, is that I do believe that the Bible would allow women to serve as deacons in the life of the church, Right? The reason why I'm saying it's going to be a jagged line is because the, the way the culture was in the first century, the way our culture is today, is different. The way gender was described in the first century and the way gender was described in our, our day is going to be looked at as different. 
um, the way our church structure is now with our current deacon body and elder body and the way that the structure was in the first century might be a little bit different, okay? So when I said that the elders are considering this matter, we are, are reading and debating uh, amongst ourselves. And nothing has been decided, but I want to make sure that you guys know that like this is not just the Bible says this, we want to have a straight line, this is exactly what we should do, because there's other scriptures that would make it a little bit more of a jagged line issue. Does that make sense? So I want to make sure that I was clear on, on that. But that's all to say, right, the reason why you have leaders in the life of a church, the reason why you have elders, the reason why you have deacons, is because of this, so that you may know how you ought to behave, right? There's, there's a manner in which leaders in the life of the church display and share how you should live in the household of faith. And that's key right there. It says in the household of faith, the household of faith, meaning what? We are a family, right? Uh, so often as a parent, what do I say? I say, you're not acting right, right? Why would you treat your brother that way? Why would you treat your sister that way? That is not good. That is not God. That is not becoming of the Lord. Stop doing that, right? Stop yelling. I mean, we all have these conversations with our kids. Why? Because as a family, we know how a family should behave. We know how a husband should act. We know how a wife should act. So when, when a husband loses their, 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 their temper and they're short with their wife, we could say that is not right. That is not how you ought to behave in the household of God, this particular household of, of faith. So Paul's writing to this church, you need to know how to behave in the household of God, in the, in the family of faith. Uh, there's lots of imagery for the Bible in the New Testament. Um, all of it's corporate, right? So we are the temple of God. We are the flock of God. Um, we are the people of God. But oh, I love that we are the family of God. You know, when I think about this church, I often think about Jesus' words to the Apostle Peter. Uh, I shared this story on Sunday, the, the story of the rich young ruler. Uh, so the rich young ruler came to Jesus, what must we do in, to inherit eternal life? And goes through that whole entire story. And then at the end, uh, Jesus says, you know, you're not going to get in. How hard is it for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven? In their mind, the rich were prosperous, means they were blessed, meaning that they were of God. And he says, well, you're not going to get in. The rich, the camel can't go through the eye of, of the needle. And they ask, well, who then can be saved? And then Peter steps up and says, well, Lord, we've done all this stuff for you. We've given up houses and homes and mothers and fathers and sisters and brothers to follow you. And, and Jesus looked at him and says, everyone who left mother and father and sisters and brothers and homes and lands for my sake in the gospel will receive that in this life and in the life to come. This is what happens when you become a Christian, you become part of the household of faith. You have brothers and sisters. You have new brothers and sisters. You have new spiritual fathers and new spiritual mothers. That's the beauty of the church. Uh, even as elders, elders are kind of pictured this, this spiritual fathers to help shepherd and care for and nurture uh, the church. I, I have many fathers in this church. I have many mothers in this church who remind me often that I need to take better care of myself in certain ways. Thank you, ladies. Um, but there's this picture of how we ought to behave in the household of faith. You have leaders that do this, and which is the what? The household of faith, and then you can define it, which is the church of the living God, the assembly of the living God, that we assemble together to serve the living God. I love that picture because the church is the called out ones. We are the ecclesia of God, meaning that we are the ones who are called out of the world, we no longer belong to the world, but what? We belong to God. And if we belong to God, we should look like God because we are born of God. So if you call yourself a Christian, you must look like Christ. 
That's a command. Be holy as your heavenly Father is holy. And so often we, we forget that we're no longer a part of the world, but we're called out of the world, therefore we should look differently. This is the same thing. You should, how you should ought to behave as the family of God. Why? Because you are the church, the ecclesia, the called out ones of the living God. This is why every single week we do a prayer of confession. Because I understand that we are sinners. We understand as elders that we are sinners and we struggled this past week. So what do we do? We come and we confess our sins. And then we do what? We boldly hold the promise of the gospel again to us. That we want to live for the Lord. So there's, there, if you are coming to church on a Sunday and you are feeling weighed down with guilt at how you lived this past week, you should leave free. And the burden should be gone. Why? Because you confess your sin before the Lord. Now, there may be other things that you're called to do in your own life to confess sins of people in your own individual life to kind of get freedom. Uh, friends, I have walked with many people who have struggled with sin and that the way that they get freedom uh, is not just doing better. The way they get freedom is confession. They confess their sins and they trust in the gospel while they confess. But the church is not just the, the church that looks and lives differently, but it's also the what? A pillar and buttress of the truth. The church is God's plan to propagate his gospel to the world. There's lots of other um, parachurch or, or, or churches that organizations that come alongside the church, uh, the s- seminaries. Uh, there, may, there could be ministries like, like Ligonier or, or Grace to You, these ministries that, that, that offer instruction. But they are not the pillar and buttress of the truth. The pillar and the buttress of the truth is the church, right? It's, it's, it's the structure that holds up the, 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 the truth. It holds up the gospel and all that is, is true and, and sends it out into the world. So if you lose the church, you, you, you lose the, this opportunity to proclaim and display the gospel. Because remember, when we proclaim the gospel with our words, Sunday morning, Wednesday night, Sunday evening, from the pulpit, that, that, that should be proclaimed. We believe in the gospel of Christ, and yet we should look differently. We also display our faith by how we live, not just what we believe. So when you are coming together and you are actually considering one another and serving one another and loving one another and forgiving one another and bearing with one another and praying for one another, what are you displaying? You're displaying the glory of God in salvation every single week. Now, there's other organizations that help maybe teach truth, but there's nothing like the church. The church's job is to hold up the truth of the Lord Jesus. And then this is great hymn, how this um, section ends, really kind of highlighting really the whole gospel message. Great indeed. Uh, Ellen had a family member, uh, an old uncle, um, that would always say that word, right? They'd be having a conversation, and then randomly he would just go, indeed. (laughs) It's a a great word to end a conversation. If you don't know what to say, indeed, right? So great indeed, he says, we confess. And what do we confess is the mystery of godliness, Now remember, mystery in the New Testament is not things that are hidden, but things that were once hidden that are now disclosed, right? So the mystery of godliness, that which is known of godliness is this. It's really the message of the gospel. He, the Lord Jesus, was was manifested in the flesh that God became a man, right? He became incarnate. He, He tabernacled among us. He dwelt with us. He is our Emmanuel, God with us. He was manifested in the flesh. Now why the flesh? Because he had to identify himself as a man. 
He had to take on human form. The eternal Son of God added humanity onto himself. And then it speaks going to the, the flesh, thinking of the crucifixion, that Jesus Christ died for us. He died as a man for mankind. But then it says he was vindicated by the Spirit, right? He was, he was raised from the dead. This is what the Bible says. It says that, that he was declared to be the Son of God um, in holiness, by the, by the Spirit of holiness who raised him from the dead. Uh, the, the, the resurrection is God's declaration to the world that Jesus Christ is God. He is divine, that the sacrifice has been accepted. He was vindicated. He was seen by angels. What happened after Jesus Christ died? He, he ascended into heaven, right? He was seen by these angelic beings. And then what, what happened? He was proclaimed, on, proclaimed among the nations. Uh, we, we, we share the gospel of Christ to those who are, are lost. Uh, we share them far and wide. And then there, he is believed on in the world. You know, we get this picture of Romans chapter 10, right? We, we send people and we send people with what? With the gospel. They share the gospel and what happens? People hear and believe. And how exciting is it that our church gets to send missionaries to Southeast Asia this, this year? The camps, the Whitakers, Miss, uh, Miss Abby uh, going to Vietnam, two going, the, the, the first going to Thailand. They get to go and they get to share the gospel in a place that desperately needs it. How beautiful is that? But we know that they don't just proclaim the gospel to the nations. They're going to proclaim and some are going to believe. They're going to believe on Christ. You know, beloved, we need to continue to share the gospel in our own community, uh, to our neighbors, to our colleagues, to our family members. Why? So that they can believe. This is how the gospel goes forth. When the church, the people of God, proclaim Christ. And lastly, it says, taken up in glory. That could mean the, the ending of all days when God's people are taken up into glory. Uh, it could be ref, uh, a reference to the, the ascension of Christ. And that first part could be spoken about in terms of the, the 40 days when Jesus was raised and, and, and proclaimed. Um, we don't exactly know. Um, but we know that in all this, the, the early church probably sung, probably read, probably memorized, right? The shorthand of of the gospel. He was manifested in the, in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. This is what we confess. This is the, the pillar and the buttress of truth. The main point of the Holy Scriptures is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is why you need elders. This is why you need deacons. This is why you need sound teaching. This is why you need godly behavior. Why? Because we believe in a great God, who gave us a glorious gospel. We believe that Jesus was strong and kind and came to rescue us, to die in our place. And I promise you, beloved, the more and more you meditate on Jesus, you meditate on the Holy Spirit, you meditate on, on the love of God the Father, you will want to be singing this. Oh, great indeed, we confessed. Great indeed, we confess. Jesus Christ came, lived, died, and rose again, and he's coming back. He's coming back to get me. So because I believe in the gospel, I want to live differently. Because I believe in the gospel, I want the church structured in a certain way so that his glory will be even more manifested to the watching world. Father, we thank you for your, your word. We thank you for the, its truth. 
We do pray, God, that you and your kindness would just um, help us as a church body continue to hold fast this gospel message. Uh, We pray it for Jesus' name. Amen.